0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If
1: Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Camilo! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. first pass, <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. We are on the run into France and I hope you've had a massive summer. hope you really enjoyed it. I hope you have an even better autumn mind you. Joining us to look into Ireland's team to face England on Saturday, the goings-on in Australia and also the Owen Farrell saga as it has become is the 42's own Murray Kinsella. Murray great to see you. How are you?
0: Well I'm delighted to see you Gavin hear your voice again. I'm sure everyone's also thrilled to have you back they've listened to myself and own prattling on for a few weeks now waiting for the big gun to return and and here he is how have you summered
1: i summered well <laughs> i feel like i'm wintering at the moment with the weather in ireland we were just speaking <laughs> i was in barcelona for a few weeks over the summer and um as i was flying back into cork uh, a couple of weeks ago i just looked out the window to see if i could spot my house because we're, we're relatively close to the airport and there was just a stream of water going across the window, and I was thinking to myself, "What have what have I done?" But you know what, the rugby is going to keep me going. Like quite sincerely, I've been looking forward to that all summer, and you know, even just the extent to which friends of mine who wouldn't be like typically interested in the day to day of rugby were bringing it up in conversation as far back as you know, I, I guess early July, um, asking what Ireland's chances are, and uh, I just feel like the whole place is a buzz about this tournament, and in the wider world as well, Murr, particularly with this Owen Farrell thing, as much as it's a a, a moment and a, a level of discourse that we don't want to see in the sport, it has perked a lot of ears and turned a lot of heads and become like a mainstream sporting talking point. I flicked on Sky Sports News for the first time in a long time late last night, just before I went to bed. And, you know, one of their leading pieces of news is uh, Andy Farrell's comments on uh, his son, which we'll get into in a moment. It just feels like the Rugby World Cup is possibly bigger than it's ever been before is that fair to say?
0: Definitely feels that way and we suspected it might be there's just huge interest it feels like an open tournament and you kind of hope that the last couple of weeks before you actually go away to France for a couple of months are going to be quiet but the the tournament's well and truly underway like this whole Farrell case feels like one of those in-World Cup sagas and all the games now feel so fraught in one way but also so important because it's really time for these teams to get up to speed. The Southern Hemisphere nations have had their rugby championship. We've enjoyed watching that, but it's all so real now. We're going to be rich next week with Ireland. They're going to play some O over there. It's a bit of a trial run for being in France for traveling because there's going to be so much of that. Even when they're in the country between host cities for the matches, and their base in in a place called Tours, where I suppose I'm going to be making a home for for a few weeks as well. So yeah, this is really on our on our doorstep now, and that makes tomorrow's game in, in Dublin all the more exciting for, for all the, the aforementioned reasons. So what's
1: your uh, schedule for the tournament? You're going out to Beeritz as well. You're staying in tour. Uh, I gather that you've had offers to receive tours of tour as well. What's the story?
0: Yeah, I think the people of tour are, are very excited to have Ireland, the number one ranked team, in the world staying for several weeks that's their training base it's a place around I think two and a half hours kind of southwest of 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 Paris not known as a massive rugby place obviously but they've built a new facility essentially for Ireland to train in and they're going to benefit from that for years to come it'll be quieter than many of the cities and, and like when we first found out that Ireland were in tour rather than one of the biggest French cities. It was a bit of a, a blow, but I, I'm sure no one will feel too sorry for us heading over. And so they'll be there every week from from Sunday, essentially, through to Thursday. And on the Thursdays, Ireland will travel to the host cities. So Bordeaux in the first match weekend, then Nantes, then Paris and Paris. And after the game, they'll return to, to their training base in Tours. So yeah, there's going to be a bit of jumping around the place. I'm guessing those Sunday to Thursdays will really suit Ireland because they'll be kind of away from the major hype and um i suppose atmosphere of those big cities and then they get to taste it on on the match weekend so there'll be lots of jumping around and there's a big two-week break in between the south africa and scotland games which is great for ireland i think they'll actually break up from camp for for a few days and the players have to actually stay in the country according to the the rules of the tournament so i think a lot of their families will be with them and they'll they'll get away from each other and, and take a breather and, and so will hopefully all the media as well because we'll be sick, sick of each other at that stage. Um, but it is exciting to have this now here and hopefully we'll get a chance to see and hear from several of the other teams because while we're obviously focused on Ireland, I think it's the most intriguing World Cup basically because of the, the draw. And and obviously people are frustrated by the the misbalance of the two sides of the draw, but that makes... The relatively weaker side, all the more interesting. The likes of a Fiji, a Georgia. These kind of teams have opportunity to to cause a few shocks. And I can't wait to to see what happens in, in that side of the draw.
1: Hey, uh, what allows us to do some of that jumping around that Murray mentions is your continued support as readers, as listeners. It's uh, the 42.e e. Forward slash subscribe if you want to subscribe to the 42. Continue to support our work and also receive all of the rugby podcasts that we're going to be rolling out over the course of the tournament. Starting up again on Monday with Bernard Jackman, we may have a special guest to work into the mix as well, a little bit deeper into the tournament. And there's going to be an unbelievable level of coverage from Murray and Kieran Kennedy over in France, uh, and uh, hopefully, as well, a a couple of us here at home uh, watching on from afar. Uh, I don't know where to start, Murr, because there's a lot to talk about. Like, do you want to get into the Ireland team first? Do you want to go through maybe a couple of the, the uh, more international talking points in the goings on at Australia and then the Farrell thing? Maybe let's finish with Ireland and we can finish with sort of a, an assessment of that game and, and dig into some of those talking points to begin with. The uh, Australia situation has been fascinating over the last couple of days. It, it sort of came to a head between Eddie Jones and several <laughs> Aussie journalists at Sydney airports. Yesterday morning, uh, Australian time, uh, he told them to uppercut themselves as he wheeled away with his uh suitcase uh, and like accused them of bringing a level of negativity to the press conference that wasn't necessarily commensurate to Australia's chances at this World Cup. But by the same token, they're asking him questions like, "Hey, Eddie." where the hell is your attack coach? (laughs) And uh, unfortunately, there well, maybe not unfortunately, but there has been a change of personnel there for Australia at the 11th hour. It's Jason Royals who's in now, another man with a rugby league background, of course, worked with Jones at England most recently as a skills coach. Uh, It feels as though it is so turbulent for Australia that they will either go out in the pool stage or win the entire competition.
0: Well, this whole turmoil at the moment is Eddie Jones the modern version this is what he does there's upheaval there's dissatisfaction there's clearly relationships that don't work well and there's been loads of questions even around how he related or didn't relate the news to some of those senior guys who missed out on on the squad the press conference I found a brilliant watch really enjoyed it it was unbelievably transparent in terms of what he was doing A, a classic Eddie Jones play to completely make the story about himself and his his lovely hat the Ak- akubra hat which was a, a new one to me i hadn't known that was the name of those beautiful hats but um yeah it was clear that he was just trying to make the story about himself and and as you say shield from the fact that he's lost another assistant coach in a long line of of assistants who've left this is obviously far from ideal timing they said it's family reasons and i'm sure there's stuff going on there but it is really rare to lose someone this late stage and and have to rejuggle things in, in, in the back room obviously the squad was a massive controversy and it looks really callow in terms of experience I do still think as you allude to there there's the makings of a really good team like the, the side that beat and I know the All Blacks rested all their key guys but the side that nearly beat I should say the, the All Blacks and um, they had a bit of drama at the end there but you know that, that, that's the makings of a good team Weather comes together as quickly as Eddie Jones wants Remains to be seen. But also he has, I would say, no pressure really. Like I think people will go, oh, look at him, he's under pressure. But he's not. He wants this disruption. He wants to shake things up. He's in for the long term. We know he's got a long contract and that they're definitely focusing on 2025 lines. And 2027 World Cup, both of them on Australian soil. That's not to say he's throwing in the towel. He's an unbelievable competitor. And yeah, absolutely. You can question the way he goes about things. But... Australian rugby probably did need a, a shake-up. He's alluded to the kind of loser's mentality that he perceived in Aussie rugby. They've got used to losing to, to other sides. And yeah, there might be a bit more of that on the way because he's he's picked this weak, weak, unexperienced squad. But I can't understand the the direction he's taking it, albeit I don't agree with exactly what he says and how he goes about it all.
1: When you bring in a new attack coach so close to a tournament is it conceivable at all that an that c- attack coach can put his own stamp on things? Like, he really has to just pick up where the predecessor left off in, in all cases, no?
0: Well, the thing with Eddie Jones is he's the attack coach. He was that's with true, England yeah. and he is with Australia. Now, he said it in the press the other day just to remind us all. And that's something that I think we all fall into a, a trap of around attack coaches. Very often, they're just kind of implementing the head coach's plan. And indeed, sometimes they're a skills coach with a, a better title, even with Ireland. Like the my my cat is the attack coach, and he has done great work, obviously. But it's it's Farrell's image for the team. He's the one who decides how they're going to play, what their philosophy is, lots of the shape and and that kind of stuff, and oversees it. And then the attack coach, the assistant, is the one who implements a lot of it on the on the training ground. So yeah, it's it's obviously not ideal, but I think they'll be okay. Their attack hasn't been that. Sharp is the issue under Eddie Jones and, and with his ideas and I think we'll see them really simplify that for, for the World Cup and be heavily based around the likes of Karevi and some of those big ball carriers that they have. They've got Tupo and Skelton and guys who can put together back-to-back incredibly dynamic phases and, and play off the back of that. So there's tools there, but yeah, I think it would be a, a shock to see them go really deep into the tournament. Would it really though? Who's going to stop them? I mean, they could lose to Fiji in the pool. Honestly, I, I, I genuinely think they're, they're vulnerable to, to even that. Um, the, as we say, the side of the draw does work in their favour, and for England as well, who obviously aren't at a peak in, in terms of what they can do. But I think both of them are, are vulnerable. I think those other nations have started to close the gap, and you don't want to overestimate that. Of course, the Wallabies in England are going to be favourites still to advance, but there's vulnerability there.
1: Speaking of England, there has been a circus going on. Absolutely disgusting is how Andy Farrell described the world's treatment of his son over the last week or so as World Rugby decided to appeal the overturning of a known Farrell red card against Wales by an independent disciplinary committee. Uh, first and foremost, were you surprised at all by the extent to which Farrell, uh, oh, excuse me, Andy Farrell, that is, was so... Uh, abrasive and upfront about this
0: issue? Well, he didn't really want to go there and that was his first response was that, you know, it's my son. So whatever I I say is, to paraphrase, is going to be clearly very biased, but he just couldn't resist expressing his emotion around it. And it was clear emotion, wasn't it? I think people would have seen the clip or read the quotes. And yeah, he he was riled up by it. He followed it up in the embargo section. There's more quotes around that today to say, you know I could get Owen's mother up here and you'd see the effect it has or his wife she could write a book about the toll that this stuff takes and clearly the clearly the case is what it is and like there's no issue with people discussing it for what it is the the case itself the tackle itself and even I, I think the history of Owen Farrell's bans in that regard but you can see where he comes from in terms of the I suppose bile and the hatred towards Owen Farrell we've discussed it loads of times Gavin like I've often found myself to be an own Farrell defender because I think he's an excellent player and I think the way he approaches the game probably colours people's perception of him as a person. He's unbelievably competitive. There's a similarity between how Johnny Sexton is perceived in other countries, I think. But I do find it kind of baffling that even in England, there seems to be such a, a distaste for him. The Saracens strand to it obviously is, is part of that, but in my eyes, he's... Possibly England's greatest ever player. I think he's one of the best to have played the game, and his record is phenomenal. But that maybe gets lost in the the personal feelings towards him. So yeah, I get Andy Farrell's comments. I think he was, I think he was right. It's his son. It must be incredibly hurtful at the moment. You can only imagine how they're talking about it. And yeah, and Owen Farrell is a person. So I'm, I'm sure this gets to him. Absolutely, he deserves a sanction in a rugby sense. For, for his actions but I have to say I've, I've some human sympathy for him and for everyone like think, of, like maybe this sounds stupid to say but the lads who made the decision in the independent disciplinary hearing they were trying to act in good faith and and they made their decision yeah maybe you disagree with it but it must be a horrible time for them now as well you know the whole world outraged at their decision um and, and I suppose making fun at that as well. So it's kind of a nasty human side to it, but I think the debate around the specifics is completely fair and we should be having it. And it is really important for Obi.
1: Yeah, it's almost as though there are two strands of thinking about it or, or two strands of discourse, if you like, that are equally valid. Like, of course, what Andy Farrell says about his son and about his son being a human being and becoming this lightning rod is valid. And anybody directing, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> pardon me, anybody directing uh, criticism towards Owen Farrell as a person is out of line. Like <laughs> you should be discussing it within the context of it being a rugby incident. And as you say, the latest in a series of incidents that uh, Owen Farrell has perpetrated that have been similar to this. It, it's not, it doesn't have to be and shouldn't be a commentary about his person just as tackling and just the, the safety issue, right? Like, I'd like to ask you about the tackling as well, because I often hear of people saying that his technique is subpar or that he needs to work on his technique. And to me, it's like you don't get to the level of the game that Owen Farrell is at if you're technically a, a poor tackler or if you don't know how to tackle. To me, it's always just been a disciplinary issue in the sense that he obviously goes after the ball a little bit and sometimes he gets it wrong. Sometimes he he just makes the wrong decision at the wrong time. He looks to make a statement tackle where it's not on. He obviously does like to put a hit on people. He is trying to incapacitate them but not decapitate them, mm. which is fine. That's within the laws of the game. It's just that sometimes it feels as though he can't. It's almost as though he uh, allows the temptation to take over a, a little bit where it's where the tackle isn't actually on. And that to me is just like... It's not even red mist. it's just a, a miscalculation, but it's indiscipline rather than poor technique, to my mind.
0: Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it is a technical issue. There's an intent, obviously, to be aggressive and dominant in defence all the time. He's an unbelievable defender when, for the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, it's legal within the laws of the game, as they are for elite rugby. Now it's changed for, for amateur rugby, is changing. But in this instance, I I do think he got his technique wrong. Like, I've no doubt in my mind that he's targeting the ball and wants to either strip it or dislodge it or wrap it up and and slow down the the recycle of the the possession. And I think he can even see slightly with his right arm, though he gets it wrong, that that's his intent. But he does get it wrong. He drives his shoulder into the head of of an opposition player and obviously we'll discuss the mitigation, but it's from everything we've seen in the past three, four years it's exactly what World Robbie wanted out of the game he's upright he accelerates into it extends himself into it and there's clear head contact there's a high degree of force and and Basham departs for a HIA that he fails I know Wales contend that so like those things aren't any doubt in my mind what is intriguing now maybe that's the wrong word but what is important for Robbie now is is what happens in this appeal hearing like it's it's not unprecedented for World Rugby to get involved, but it is quite extraordinary. And I think everyone's kind of taken it as a fait, fait accompli that Farah's going to get banned now. I don't think it is. I, I think there's a strong chance that the appeal is unsuccessful. I do think World Rugby were right to do it. It's them backing their referees. It's them backing the position they've taken on head contact and getting it out of the game. And it's them, I suppose, backing the, the way that these disciplinary committee decisions have generally gone and and the fact that you could probably always find mitigation like rugby's a game that involves potential mitigation in every split second defenders are, are constantly dealing with attackers who are moving even if it's not a, a teammate involved as as Jamie George potentially was so i think it's a really important precedent i i, I think for rugby but the appeal process is is tricky we don't even know when it's going to happen so it rumbles on into next week for England as well. It's highly disruptive for, for them again. But with the World Cup, as we say, just on the, the doorstep, the outcome of this will be potentially massively influential.
1: Tame Basham is also somebody's son, by the way, and he's a guy who received a head injury and had to be removed from a rugby game. like, So it is well and good bringing the human aspect of this into the equation, but it works on two sides. Um and again, that's not having a go at Andy Farrell. He's right to say what he said. He's protecting his son. But there is also a, a serious issue at play here, which is a, a shoulder crashing into another man's head and not for the first time. That's the
0: reality of the situation. The the other interesting element to this is, the, I think, uh, I suppose the sentiment from a lot of current professional players around how this has been treated. And unfortunately, there seems to be, uh, consensus that George and I got a 10-week ban rather than the 5-week ban he did I think the the initial sense was that it was a bigger ban than it was but I, I've seen a lot from players particularly players with Pacific Island backgrounds or indeed playing for the Pacific Island nations who are up in arms really about this and feel there's different treatment now the tackles are clearly very different Miles is a tip tackle and I, I, I agree with the 5-week ban there I think it was a really dangerous tackle that's not in question but their perception is that player from a tier one nation has kind of got away with it whereas the the player from the Pacific Island nation has been just thrown a ban straight away Um, so that's another element to this that probably shouldn't be glossed over either this sense within the game itself and some of these guys like Rico Ioane um, Ardi Savella even TJ Paranara. I saw did a video about this as well so influential voices and, and, and guys who should be listened to because you shouldn't just dismiss that stuff either. So really, Gav, the, the amount of strands in this are, are unbelievable. So uh, listen, it's going to rumble on. We're going to be talking about it next week and I'm sure some people are sick of hearing about it, but it is important for the game. Mm,
1: it certainly is. Uh, Ireland and England in Dublin, just as it was back in March when Ireland won the Grand Slam. And that kind of colours my perception of this game instantly, Murray, because as much as England seemed to be a rabble from what we've seen of them against Wales over the last couple of weeks, even in victory last time, you know, they their pack kind of achieved at least parity with Ireland in that Grand Slam game for large parts of it, you know, you, you could argue edged it really for uh, as long as they had 15 men on the pitch, let's say, and then, uh, I don't know, the, the, the complexion of the game obviously changed after that uh, Freddie Stewart red card, but... I wonder what sort of a challenge you expect England to pose to Ireland and probably more importantly for an Irish rugby podcast what you would like to see out of Ireland in this game given the, the very strong team that has been named
0: I'd like to see a reminder of their credentials for World Cup and that's quite a demanding ask because many of these guys are playing for the first time there will be elements of rust we have to understand that we've seen it in all the games so far it's their first game in, in months in many cases and there'll be errors but as you mentioned it's a really strong Ireland team out Against a, an England team who haven't been in great form, who don't have a great a, a degree of confidence, I'm sure they'll be galvanised by by what's going on, and and you saw a bit of it with Steve Borthwick yesterday, maybe getting that kind of siege mentality, and it's the the world against us now, which is useful for a big, powerful-looking team who can be, yeah, as you as you said, very physically powerful and have quality up front. So it'll kind of suit them in a, in a strange way. I think George Ford actually could go really well at ten for them and he's worked brilliantly with Borthwick in the past and getting that combination of a kicking game and and allowing what is a talented backline that hasn't really flourished for England potentially getting them to, to fire so I think I'd like to see a more uh, complete performance from Ireland than the last day against Italy you'd like to see some of the little hints they had at development in their phase play attack continuing I thought there was nice little wrinkles on some of the stuff or, or hints at it and a continuation of of strong set piece. The the lineout had some frustrating moments, obviously with the the penalties and those little inaccuracies acc- to to level out. But this is a good challenge against a heavy English pack. And and as I say, it's just around the corner now that they have to be at full tilt because they play England this weekend, as we say, f- nearly full strength. You'd imagine something similar against Samoa in the last warm game because the Romania opener romania are, are really really poor
1: it's the worst uh, romania team we've ever seen more isn't it
0: yeah so you'd imagine that andy Farrell goes largely second string for that plus the guys who maybe need minutes in their legs whether it's a, a jack conan back from injury or ronan keller if he makes it uh johnny Sexton maybe getting up a, a little run out and and getting back in action but largely you'd imagine that ireland will use that almost as a another warm-up game and, and a chance to rotate the squad so it's important that they play well in these two games it's important that they keep winning and, and that sounds kind of crazy to say given England's woes this year but, but Ireland will be cognizant of the fact that it's Keith Earl's 100 cap their last home game before they go to the World Cup with an incredible record behind them and I think just yeah getting that momentum back to where it was when they, when they wrapped the other bit of it is that they were very unhappy with how they played when they sealed that Grand Slam they they looked a bit jittery. As you say, the red card was really influential in, in deciding the game and at a time when, yeah, it was maybe still in the balance slightly. So I think they'll be determined to show more what they're capable of. And and we know that when they play to that level, it's thrilling as well. So I'd love to see a bit of that.
1: Talk to me about the game through the lens of it being an opportunity for Kian Prendergast at eight. Like a lot of people would have been surprised to see him select there. Obviously, he has played a little bit of ball at eight at eight. Connacht. but given the, I guess it's the du- excuse me, the duality as well of Gav Coombs being sent home, where you thought he might get an opportunity oh. in these couple of games, and Prendigas playing in a position that wouldn't necessarily be a specialised position against a, a good level of opposition in an otherwise strongest available team. Really, it's a massive chance for him and a deserved chance as well.
0: It's hard to imagine that he's getting this start if he's not going to the World Cup. As I say, two games left and otherwise full strength and you look at the boxes he's kind of quietly ticked over the last while when he came on against Fiji last November he came on the second row which kind of went under the radar at at the time when he came on against Italy last weekend he came on at open side he's predominantly a blind side as we know and played there for Ireland's midweek team and the Ireland A team last autumn that was and now he gets the number 8 box ticked as well having played there for Connacht four times last season or made four starts there so it looks like a, a coaching team who are kind of making sure that he can be a cover all player and be really flexible, both in terms of training, which is important. You, you want really competitive sessions and then for that squad rotation. So he's done really well by all accounts over the preseason. He's the kind of personality that I think Farrell really likes. He's He's a bit of a kind of savage, if that makes sense. He's relentless. He's got an incredible desire to just keep rising up the ranks we saw after he he missed out on on Leinster Academy he went to Connacht within a couple of months he was in the first team driving on and he's already become a key player they were blown away by his his attitude and we're seeing it now with his younger brother Sam as well they've they've both got it their parents are both ex-military people and and you can see it's rubbed off on them their their diligence and their approach so Farrell like Sadie's. Improved every part of his game that he he needed to. He's a big guy at 6'4", 112 kg. He's punchy, but he's very mobile and agile as well. He's good in the line-out. And, yeah, he's just kind of relentless around the pitch. The discipline one, as Farrell mentioned very honestly yesterday, he's had to improve that, and and that's a work in progress. But there's, there's loads like there. And absolutely, at the same time, it's really disappointing for Gavin Coons, but it's so easy to kind of diminish Prendergast's abilities because people are focusing on, on Coombs, which which is totally understandable. I asked Andy Farrell about it yesterday. He said he didn't really want to go into what the kind of feedback was to, directly to the player, but he he said, "Listen, he's he could still feature." He, he alluded to that, and and that's absolutely the case. Gavin Coombs can't really lick his wounds for too long, but yeah, he just doesn't seem to fit exactly what they're trying to do. They haven't tried to to make a a, a role from there, even though you kind of have this nagging suspicion that his ballast, his power, his jackling ability and indeed his much improved handling, his much improved fitness which they asked him to go and do and we saw it with Munster, his, his involvements and his work rate went through the roof at the end of last season. Um, They just, yeah, they haven't made an effort to fit those things in and generally, in fairness to Farrell and to Paul O'Connell who's the forwards coach and has a big say, they've got it right most of the time with their, their selections. so yeah, it remains a bit of a mystery to some people I think and even though he's well, he's nearly 26, he'll be 26 at the end of this year. It still feels like he could have a, a bigger international career to, to come, but more disappointment for now.
1: More disappointment for now. Will there be disappointment for England at the Aviva then when we uh, rock up there tomorrow?
0: Ah, there will. There will. <laughs> I just saw World Rugby, they sent out the kind of permutations for the rankings and said if Ireland lose, they drop off top spot in the in the rankings. Uh, if they lose by 15 points, they could drop to fourth. So <laughs> they'll be hoping that that's not the case I, I I don't think England have put together enough of a body of work to suggest and that's over the course of not even just the Borthwick era but before that as well I, I don't know I, I think this squad probably isn't quite as strong as it's perceived maybe in, in some quarters in England and Ireland yeah they should have they should have too much quality there's a nice bit of punch off the bench as well I'm looking forward to seeing Joe McCarty go again because now with him and Prendergast still in the squad if they go nineteen fourteen, both those guys are going to the World Cup 1914 split of of forwards and backs of course so uh, I think it's exciting to have that freshness too and otherwise familiar and otherwise as we know excellent Ireland team I'll see you tomorrow yeah looking forward to it Gav it's going to be a, a good weekend and
1: for all of the 42 subscribers we'll be back on Monday with the main man Bernard Jackman as well
0: the one and only birch i can't
1: wait i can't wait i've
0: missed him have you i've missed It's funny him. yeah
1: because we'd be like chirping away a little bit on whatsapp even though both of us would sort of go under the radar or off radar altogether while we're off during the summer but um i've missed sort of seeing him and, and hearing him uh mind you he has been popping up in virtually every other rugby podcast and event on planet earth but uh can't wait to dig into the game with him own tooling as well has been uh actually plugging away with you over the last couple of weeks for the 42 subscribers it's the 42.e forward slash subscribe if you want access to rugby weekly extra with two lads we'll have so many podcasts over the next few months you won't even know what to do with them plus gav cooney's behind the line series is back as well where he sits down with some of the world's top sports writers and picks their brains and asks them to tell their stories and stories involving uh, interactions and interviews with various sports people it's one of my favorite podcasts uh in the world to be totally honest and
0: when are you getting in, when are you getting interviewed for it Gav?
1: uh i'd say i'll be working in pr long before i'm worthy of a <laughs> sit down with gaff cooney uh or maybe not if people continue to support our work what a shit way to end it but listen listen it's uh, great to see you, Mer. i will see you properly in person tomorrow as well looking forward to that and Cheers, thanks everyone. to everybody for listening we will be back as i say uh well actually we'll have a quick post-match pod for the 42 subscribers as well after England, Murray, won't we?
0: We will indeed. Always good to get a, a yeah. quick reaction out there. And to people who have already been emailing in, keep them coming. Like we always get a really good, high quality of, of questions from our subscribers. So always welcome hearing from people.
1: Yeah, 100%. So we'll be doing like these quick hit post-match pods throughout the tournament, uh, starting on Saturday at the Aviva. Then we have Mondays with Birch, midweek with Owen. Loads more to come as well. 42.e forward slash subscribe. Take it easy, everyone. Put the boys in the better land, you're always talking about the boys in the better land. The boys in the better land. the shop names
0: for 50 double barrels. He spit out, grit out, only small carrots. And he's refreshing the world in mind, body and spirit Mind, body and spirit You better hear it, I fear
1: it Oh, that's the spirit
0: Saying sister, oh, sister How I miss you, miss you Let's go this to wrist, take your skin off of a man huh?
1: If you're a rock star, pawn star, superstar Doesn't matter what you are Get yourself a good car, get out of here Put yeah. the boys in the better land, you're always talking about the boys in the better land The boys in the better line Put the boys in the better land You're always talking about the boys in the better land The boys in the better land